Uh, we are in chapter 11. So if you've got your Bibles and you wanted to join us there, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And today we're going to begin in, in verse 32. We're moving through this book of Hebrews. And, and, and we've talked about grace and grace alone, that God has called us into this relationship with him. We, we talked about the fact that, that part of what, the, what was going on in, the, in this time that the letter to the Hebrews was being written was that people were, were leaving this grace alone salvation and going back and trying to add works to it. Uh, and the writer of Hebrews calls them back to a, a faith that is in God by grace alone. And now he's beginning to lay out for us what faith looks like. And we've said several times in this series already that, that faith is an obedient response to what God has revealed to us. So God comes and says, this is what I'm about to do. This is, this is how I want to work in your day and in your time and in your world. And, and then we join with God, and that is faith. By faith, we, we change our plans to match his plans, and we join him in what he's doing. Faith always begins with God. And it always begins with that revelation of God. And then we come alongside and we join in with God and we reap the rewards of having been a partner with God in that process. He's given us a list of people in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that have walked with God by faith. And many of these are big name people that the the Hebrews would have related to. And what he's going to do in this passage this morning is, is so interesting and to me is so encouraging for us. Because what he does is he moves from the big names down to a few obscure names that you kind of have to look at and go, I don't know if I remember that guy. I don't know if I remember his story. I don't remember what he had to do. In fact, as I've studied and prepared the last couple of weeks for today, I've had to go back and, and, and get my concordance and go, okay, where is this guy in the Bible and what did he do? Because I don't remember him. And that's encouraging to me. Because here's the deal. Five minutes after I'm gone, there's nobody going to remember my name. Nobody's going to know who I was. It's, it's, it's just, you don't realize it how fast people forget who you are. And, and, and sometimes we live for this, this, this limelight. We live for everybody to know my name. We live for everybody to, 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 to sing my praises. And then it's like putting your finger in the river and pulling it out. And it just, it's gone. Now, maybe people remember you a little longer than that. But the reality is 100 years after you're gone... Most people won't. And so we, we read about some people who are a little more obscure. And then he moves on in the latter part of today's passage, and he reminds us of the faith of people who we don't even know their name. We know some of the things that happened to them. We know some of the things that went on in their world, but we don't even, we, we're not even given their name. Scripture doesn't even record their name. And that is encouraging to me because it says that God uses people whom we don't know, that we may not remember, to do things that are eternal, to do things that will last forever. You being here this morning is a part of that process. There are people who have been following Jesus for thousands of years, and you never even heard their name. Yet you're here today because their faith was passed on to somebody else who was passed on to somebody else who was passed on to somebody else who decided about 60, 70 years ago to start a church named Crossroads. And then those folks carried on their faith and this place is still here today and you don't even know their name. And guess what? 50 years from now, there will be people sitting in these seats who don't know your name. But your walk with Jesus will make possible them knowing Jesus. 
And that's encouraging. That is encouraging to know that even if my name never gets recorded in in, in the annals of time, even if my name is never known by anybody outside the walls of this church, my life can make a difference downstream. So let's look at what this passage says today. Let's look at how it it fits into this this storyline that we see here in the book of Hebrews. He's talked about the big names, Moses and Abraham and all these guys. And then he says in, in, in verse 32, And what more shall I say? You, you need some more examples of what faith looks like? Let me, let me tell you about some of the best examples of faith. He says, these guys that we've talked about, they're, they're great, but, but what more shall I say? He says, I don't have the time to go into detail here about Gideon and, and Barak and, and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. There, there's a whole list of people who have come before us, this whole list of people who have walked with Jesus and have made possible our faith and have made known to us what it looks like to walk with Jesus Christ. He says, but time won't permit me. Time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. Who are these guys? Who are the ones that he's talking about here? He, he just lists them so fast, it's almost easy to read through the Scripture and forget their stories. But you remember Gideon, most of us remember Gideon because he was a guy that that the army kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Until he went from 32,000 down to 300, 1% of what he started with. And God gives him the battle. And we remember Gideon for that. But while that was a great act of faith, Gideon was not this this go-getter kind of guy. When when God first shows up to talk to Gideon, you know where God found Gideon? Anybody remember? He was hiding. The, the, the Midianites were coming to attack uh, Israel, and every time Israel would, would, the harvest would come to, to fruition, it's time to harvest, guess who shows up? The Midianites. And they steal everything the Israelites have, have grown. So they're, they're at this place in, in life where every time the, the harvest comes up, here comes the Midianites, and they're going to take everything we've grown. They take the wheat, they take the grapes, they take it all. And our people are left starving. So Midian's the youngest in his clan, he's, he's in a clan that's the, the weakest of all the clans, and he's the youngest of all them. And Midian's like, i got to feed my family. And so it's, 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 it's wheat harvest time. It's, it's not the grape harvest time, but there's this wine press. And, and Gideon goes, I, I got this. I'm going to take the wheat to the wine press. They'll never think to look there. And he's in the wine press hiding, and he's stripping the wheat, making some, some, some grain so he can feed his family. And the angel of the Lord shows up and... and <laughs> I just had to laugh when I read this. The angel of the Lord shows up, finds Gideon ducking for cover, hiding in this wine press, trying to make food for his family. And he announces, hey, Gideon, mighty warrior. And Gideon kind of looks behind him and is like, who are you talking to? I'm, I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm, I'm hiding from these Midianites, and, and, and I'm just trying to feed my family. I'm just trying to get by. And, and he says, you're a mighty warrior. God's going to use you. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. If God is so great... And God is so good. Where's all the wonders that I've been told my whole life? I've heard about the crossing of the Red Sea. I've heard this list here that the, the writer, you know, not he, he hadn't read Hebrews, but the list of people that the writer of Hebrews calls out. I, I've, I've read their stories. I've heard their stories, but we hadn't seen that in our day. God's abandoned us. And the angel says to Gideon, no, God hasn't forgotten you. God's going to use you. To deliver your people. And you remember the rest of the story? Gideon's like, oh, how do I know it's really God speaking to me and this is not just someone else? And God begins to give him some signs. 
And he lays out the fleece. Remember, okay, God, if, if this is really you, then let's let the fleece be dry, the ground, the ground wet, the, ground, uh, the fleece. Let's reverse it. Let's go back and forth. And, and God meets him where he's at and convinces him that this is real. And he says, now take the army and you're going to defeat these guys. And then we get to the story that we all remember where he ends up there and, and God says, hey, if anybody in your group is, is scared, let them go home. And they had an army of 32,000 and, 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 and literally 22,000 walked away. 66% of his men go home scared. Leaves him with just 10,000 guys left. And God says, it's still too big, Gideon. If, if, if you go to battle with 10,000, then you'll take credit for the victory. And this is not about you. This is about me. What do we do, God? Well, send them to the river, and, and I'm, there's going to be two different ways they drink water. And I'm going to tell you which one to take. And so they begin to drink water. Gideon watches them, and God says, you keep the small group. Send the big group home. And they're down to 300 men. And God gives Gideon the victory. Here's a dude that's scared to death that God raises up and uses in a mighty way. We, we read the story, the, the next name in our list here is this guy called Barak, Barak. And you go, who is this guy? And, and he was a warrior. He was a guy that was a, a leader of the army and, and, and he served under the time that Deborah was the prophetess over, over Israel. And she comes to him and says, hey, listen, man, uh, God told me that you're the guy to lead our people into battle. And, and every time these guys are going into battle, they are under oppression. They, they, they have turned their backs on God and God is disciplining them. And these foreign armies have come in and attacked them. And so here they are, they're in, this, they're in the middle of this. And, and she comes and says, hey, dude, listen, uh, God wants to give us victory and you're the one that's going to go do it. And he's like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. And he hesitates. And she says, you need to go. God's told me this. God's revealed this to me. And he says, well, if I'll go if you go. And she says, well, if if I go, then a woman's going to get credit for this, not you. An amazing thing happens. He says, I don't care who gets the credit. If God's in it, I want to be a part of it. And the credit doesn't matter. And the story unfolds that, that he goes to battle and, and, and they slay the army and the king flees that they're trying to capture. And he begins to try to track the king down. And, and this king runs into the tent of a lady that is a part of their, their group and, and he asks her to hide him. And so she gives him some food and some water and lets him bed down for the night. And she takes a tent peg and drives it through his head. And she gets the credit for killing the king. And Barak says, I don't care. I'm not in it for the credit. I'm in it for God's people and I'm in it for God's glory. That's faith. Samson, we know the story of Samson. We We've grown up in church hearing that story of Samson, this guy of great strength, this guy that, that grew his hair long and, and, and took on the Philistines. And God was going to use him to set the people free from the Philistines who were now oppressing the people of God. And Samson starts strong, no pun intended, and he then grows weak. His appetite for women, his inability to keep his mouth shut, take him down. And yet he still knew God was not through with him. And after they've gouged his eyes out and his strength is gone, he's bound and he's sent into the arena to kind of amuse the, the onlookers. He's taken back by a servant and he puts his hands between the two pillars of the temple and he prays that God would give him strength one more time to take out the Philistines in his death. And with that great strength of God, he knocks down the pillars of the, of the, the, the arena and it says he killed more in his death than he killed through his battles. 
a guy who bounced back, a guy who had it right, got it wrong, and bounces back. And, and that's what faith does. It's not that we get it right every day, but it's that when we don't, we bounce back. It's, it's a guy named Jephthah, and, and, and this is a guy who has been labeled, I think mislabeled throughout time, as the man who made a, a foolish vow. But he is a, another warrior that's sent off to, to help set the people of God free, and he's in this intense battle, and he makes a promise to God. He's, he, he wants to serve God. He wants to be faithful to God, and he says, God, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. You'll strengthen me for battle, and you will give us victory today. When I get back home, the first thing that walks out of my tent, I'll sacrifice it to you. And they win the battle and he heads home. And what comes out the tent door first? His daughter. Oh, his heart's broken. That he made a promise to God that, that God, whatever, whatever you send out, it's yours. You pick, you send, it's yours. And he has to sacrifice his daughter to keep his promise to God. People call him a fool. I think he was a faith-filled man who loved God more than anything God had given him. That's hard for us to imagine. Then he talks about King David, who was faithful and yet flawed in so many ways, yet labeled as a man after God's own heart. Samuel, who from the time he was a very young child, was taught and when God speaks, you just say, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. And God would speak and Samuel would respond. And God used him to help lead and guide the people of God for years. We see these, these men with, with famous names. And, and, and then he describes to us some of the things that, that these famous men were able to accomplish. And in verse 33, he says that, that through faith they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the, the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put these foreign armies to flight. And women even received back their dead by resurrection. I think a reference to that widow that, that took care of Elijah. Remember when he was, was, was hungry and there was a drought and he had no food left and he goes to that widow and says, hey, listen, what have you got? And she says, I've got enough food for me and for my son to eat one more meal and then we die. He goes, great, feed me first. And she did. Remember the story that the oil never ran out, the, the, the flour never ran out? Her faith was real and it was rewarded. And so he gives us these names, and, and he tells us the results of their faith. And then, without even putting on a blinker, without even tapping his brakes, he makes this, this, this huge turn. And he goes, oh, by the way, some of the faithful... Some of the most faithful, if you will, were tortured. And they refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. What's he saying? Listen, you got the, the, the face of Christianity, and, and, and you've got Moses and Abraham and Samson and all these guys who are the, the face of Christianity, the heroes of the faith. And he says, you know, few people are called to be the face of Christianity. 
But most of us as Christians are just called to live the faith of Christianity. We don't even get their names. He, he just, like I said, he doesn't even tap the brakes. He just, it's just a, a swift turn. And he's going from these names and these great victories to going, oh, by the way, some of the most faithful people, they were tortured. They were tortured in order to get them to recant their faith, to deny their Lord, to walk away from the Lord. And, and, and they refused to accept that release. They refused, refused to accept that, 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 that their freedom in exchange for their denial of Jesus. They refused to do that. Why? Because they knew if they remained faithful, there was something better waiting for them. These guys were, were focused more on eternity than they were uh, upon getting uh, a relief at that moment. He says others, verse 36, suffered mocking and flogging. The mocking to bring shame upon them for their faith in Christ. And they said, you, you may see this as a time of shame. I see it as a badge of honor. When the church was first called Christians, it was not a name of honor. It was a name of ridicule that was imposed upon the church. And the church says, you know what? I can't think of a better name than little Christ. I'll wear that with pride. Flogging, they're, they're, they're being punished, they're being beaten for their faith. Even chains and imprisonment, they're stuck in isolation. Well, if you won't shut up, then we'll imprison you and you won't have a crowd to talk to and you won't have anybody to testify to. And they would say things like Paul said, you may can put my body in prison, but you can't imprison my soul. You may can take my life, (laughs) but then life really just begins. They were stoned. Usually a stoning took place as a result of mob violence. They whip up the crowd. They rush in and they are going to they're going to make an example of you in front of everybody in town. There were some he says that were sawn in two. Gee, whiz. These were faithful people who decided that death in Christ was better than life without him that it was better for them to to go down clinging to their faith than to abandon their faith and live longer they were sawn in two they were killed with the sword they went about in skins of sheep and goats probably a sign that everything else that they had had and they'd owned had been stripped away They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. When people left the Jewish faith and converted to Christianity, they were disowned by their families. Many of them gave up their inheritance. They gave up their family name. They gave up everything. They were told by their parents that you're no longer a part of this family. You're no longer to to use our name and to, to call yourself one of us destitute, gave it all up, afflicted, mistreated. And then he says this, these people were those of whom the world was not worthy. This world was not good enough 
for them. They deserve something better. Why? Because they were faithful. Here's the honest truth. Most people outside our area will never know your name. Most people will never know mine. And that's okay. But there are some that will if you live a faith-filled life. They may be the ones that bear your name as your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren who will live their life and say, I remember the faith of my grandfather. I remember the way my dad loved Jesus. I remember the impact of that Sunday school teacher, of that vacation Bible school worker. I remember the, 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 the ones that, that gave of their time week after week to serve in the nursery and to serve in these positions where they got no glory, no credit, and nobody ever knew their name. But their faith and their life and their faithfulness are why I'm here today. It's those kinds of people that, that make Christianity what it is today. You see, it's, it's not just the face of Christianity, but it's the faithfulness of Christians. And as those things work together, then the faith of, of Christ is made known to the world. As I thought about what he's saying here, the way that he's laying this all out. He says, these guys were, were, were tortured and killed and they went about and were destitute and afflicted and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. You know why? Because they weren't allowed to go back home because of their faith in Jesus. I wonder how many of us would follow Christ if that was the cost that we had to pay. This week has been a kind of an interesting week for me as I've studied this passage because I've always looked at this and gone, and, and I read this description of how they were tortured and how they were mistreated. And I thought, man, what a heavy price to pay to be faithful. What a heavy burden to bear. What a, what a huge cost to have to, to, to pay to be able to be faithful to the Lord. And I've always looked at that and thought, man. In fact, in my notes, when I first started working on this a couple weeks ago, I, I put, okay, here, here's, the, here's the benefit. These, these guys that won the victories and all that, and here's the cost. And this week as I studied it again, I thought, you know what? That's not the way these guys saw it. It's not the way they saw it. And, and this image came to my mind of a couple growing older in their golden years. And one of them's health begins to fail. And this husband and wife who have loved each other for years, one begins to care for the other. And, and as health begins to decline for the other, the care becomes more and more and more and more. And people from the outside might look at that and go, oh, what a burden. What a struggle. What, what a price to pay. But that spouse who's a caregiver would say, not at all. What a privilege. What a privilege to care for the one that I love the most. 
And I think that's what these believers would say. We would look at it and go, man, what a price they had to pay for their faith. And they would say, no, 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 what a privilege it was to get to be the child of God, to wear the name of Jesus even to death. What a privilege that would be. You see, when you love somebody with all your heart, it's not a burden. It's a privilege. And when we love the Lord with all of our heart, come what may, it's not a burden. It's a privilege. It's an honor to say, you know what? if If I can just love him the best I can love him, it still can't even compare to the love that he's poured out on me. That's why when people get married, they say for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty. And we go through all these extremes and we say everything in between there. We are promising because this is a privilege. Some folks will look at that, maybe young people, and go, ah, man, if that's what marriage is going to end up looking like, then maybe I'd be better single. And I'll be honest, there's people that look at the Christian faith and say the same thing. If walking with Jesus is going to cost me something, then I think I'll just do it on my own. But those that make that choice, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in faith with the Lord, miss out on so much. It's easy to focus on the cost. I think these guys were focused on the privilege that it was to walk with Jesus. So they were given the opportunity to walk away. We'll set you free. All you got to do is renounce this faith in just Jesus, God. And over the history of mankind, believers have stood up and said, how can I deny the one who did not deny me? How can I deny the one who gave his life for me? Thanks, but no thanks. I'll stick with Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. That's the way that we are called to live. It's, it's this privilege that we have of come what may, I'm going to stick with Jesus. Come what may, good or bad, whether people know me or whether they don't, whether my name would make it into the Bible if God were still writing the Bible today, or whether nobody will ever know my name 15 minutes after I'm gone. I just want to be faithful. Because I may be unnamed, but I am not unnoticed by God. These guys paid a heavy price, but their reward, oh my goodness, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Look at verse 39. And all these, notice he's now not distinguishing between the big names and the no names. All these, though they were commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Did God cheat them? <laughs> did he make him a promise and was it a bait and switch? Did, did God do that? And he said, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. They were commended. They were honored and applauded for their faith. Yet they haven't yet received what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Oh my goodness, what? That's confusing to me. you got to stop and kind of break down each little word and, and go, what is he trying to say here? And, 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 and this is what I think he's trying to say. These guys 
were faithful to the end. But the end of their story is not at the end of the story. Picture, if you will, an assembly line where, where cars are made, the factories where cars are put together. And, and, and there may be somebody back here at the very beginning of the assembly line, and, and they're putting together their part of the car. And then that car is carried on down the assembly line, and somebody else adds a part, and somebody else adds a part, and somebody else adds a part. And finally, at the end of this thing, the car is finished, and it rolls off the assembly line. Just because the first guy finished his part doesn't mean the whole car is ready to roll. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of things that have to happen to that. And nobody celebrates... <laughs> When the guy back here puts in the first screw. But everybody can celebrate when the car rolls off the assembly line. And you ask a guy, what is it that you do? And he says, I make the cars that move America. You go, well, what do you, you make the cars? I make the cars that move America. What do you do? I make the cars that move America. I know you make cars, but which part do you do? And his answer might be, does it really matter? Does it matter if I put on the tires or the gas cap or the fuel tank? Does does it matter which part I do? I'm a part of a team that makes the cars that move America. And guys, listen, it doesn't matter what your part is that God's assigned to you in this thing called faith. It might be neat to be the guy that that fires up the engine and test drives it. That'd be a great job, wouldn't it? But you may be the guy back there putting on the third lug nut. But without all that getting done, the car never gets finished. And celebration never occurs. And what he's saying here is all these people that we've listed all the way through, from all the way back from the promise made to Abraham, all the way through, they all matter. There are those we know their names, and there's those we will never know their name. But they all matter. And their part of the process all matters. So these guys were commended from their faith, and yet they haven't received what was promised yet. Why? Because God's got something better. He's got a celebration plan that apart from us, they will not be made complete. In other words, the process is not finished. And it won't be finished until Jesus returns. And then it will. And then the celebration will begin. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where all believers who've exercised faith in Jesus will be gathered around the throne and we will feast together. So I don't know what your part in this process is. But I know this. Your part matters. And we need you doing your part. I believe that if God were still writing scripture today, He would talk about the things that some of you do in the kingdom of God. Men that fire up their mowers and their weed eaters. And come down here and cut grass for the kingdom of God. People that pick up a vacuum cleaner and vacuum the sanctuary and clean it so that it's nice the next Sunday when we get here. Men and women 
who say, you know what, a church needs a nursery and it needs a children's program. And that's not sexy and it's not fancy and it's really not even maybe my thing. But you know what, I want my grandkids to have a nursery. And I want my grandkids to hear about the gospel in a way that they can understand. And so you know what, I'm going to jump in there. And I'm going to be a part of that. And nobody may ever know that I do it, but that's not why I'm doing it. It's those that serve others in their times of need. It's the visits that are made during the week that nobody else knows about. It's the meals that are prepared and delivered and served that never makes a church bulletin. It's the man who carves out time from his busy schedule to study the Bible so that when other men gather together on Sunday morning, he has something to share that will touch and change their lives. It's those who wake up early and hit their knees and pull out that yellow sheet of paper and say, Lord, I'm going to bring these people back before you this morning and pray faithfully for them. It's those who sacrifice their wants in order to have a little extra money to pitch in to send kids to Dry Creek Baptist Camp. It's those of you who've spoken up and said, you know what? I want to help a college student go to Seattle this summer and make a difference up there. That's the faithfulness that we're talking about. And nobody may know your name and nobody may know what you're doing, but, but some of you, if God were still writing the Bible today, he'd write about you because you're faithful and you're true. And you've done this for years. Faith moves us to use what God's given us. A gift, a talent, income, influence, knowledge, wisdom, to use it for his glory and for the good of others. And just like the people in this passage today, we do so joyfully and thankfully and gratefully. Not because we have to. And not because someone makes us feel guilty for not doing it. But because we understand the great gift of grace that we've been given. And we say, how could I not do that? So as we close today... I want to remind you that, that it's the people in this passage today that are unnamed but not unnoticed that should garner our greatest attention. Because for most of us, other than Andrew, we'll never be famous. But you know what? Maybe God hasn't called you to be the face of Christianity that, that everybody sees and everybody knows with your own television show. But he has called you to be faithful. And that faithfulness will be used to impact generations to come. So there's some of you that today you would need to say to the Lord, you know what, Lord, it's time that I begin to use what you've given me for your glory. There's things that I could do for the kingdom that I'm not doing right now. And I looked at it and thought, what a burden. But maybe today I need to look at it and say, what a blessing.
count me in. Let me serve. Children's church, nursery, lawn care team, housekeeping team, whatever. Let me know how I can serve, Lord. And then teach me to be faithful and to do so with a grateful heart. Not for man's attention or for man's applause. But because I want to be a part of this assembly line that will one day watch the kingdom come and be a part of that celebration. And I want to do my part. Maybe that's you today. Maybe today you just say to God, God, I don't know what it's going to look like. Don't know what you want me to do. But I just make myself available today and say, you know what? It's a blank check. You fill in the rest. I'm yours. Let's pray.